Welcome to the Energized Podcast, where today's talks fuel the future. Leadership is on the agenda today, more specifically, leadership in the energy world. I'm your host, Yusuf Khouri, and today I'm joined by Mr. Yazan Zaman. Both inside and outside the realm of academia, Yazan has diligently defined his path towards leadership in the energy world. After graduating from the University of Toronto with a degree in engineering science and energy systems engineering, he maintains active roles as a president of the Sustainable Engineers Association and as a teaching assistant. With a studied collection of awards as well as a vast depth of experience, he's on the front lines of a transition to a greener future. Yezan, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Likewise, Yusuf, it's definitely a pleasure to see you. Absolutely. How Thank is you it for the today? great introduction. <laughs> no, yeah, it, it, it doesn't well. do you justice. It doesn't do you justice, really. <laughs> Thank all okay, you. all okay well. on your Thank end? You Are you so in much. Toronto right now? Yes. Okay. Okay. And uh, just just so I can clarify, did you have you graduated yet from uh, University of Toronto, or is this your last semester? That's a that's a very good point. Actually, I'm yeah. in my very last semester, so okay. where it's a five year program because I did co-op for one year, so I left school for a year. Okay. How was that? What did you do in that uh, in that year? Yeah, that's a good question, actually. So I think that's the year where it actually pr motivated me to do more things in the energy sector. Like this is what really okay. um, acts as an inspiration for me because I got the chance to do a PY co-op at two different places. So first of all, I worked mm -hmm. as a market and forecast um, intern at the uh, ISO, which is Independent Electricity Systems Operator based in Mississauga, Ontario. And within okay. that role, um, essentially, I was doing a lot of outage work, so more electrical engineering, which is very essential when we're looking at the energy sector and we're trying to optimize um, for the reduction of, you know, of CO2 emissions and mitigation strategies. It's really sure. important to look at the circuit and make sure that we're managing the outages correctly. But that was the first portion of my experience. But then okay. what I learned, I wanted to use it more in a practical sense. I worked as an energy efficiency consultant at Posterity Group. Um, sure. And this was a lot more, you know, application-based and working with clients directly. So I got the chance to work with companies like Ford BC, Natural wow. Resources Canada, Environment and Climate Change Canada, in order to help improve, for example, their building certification process to make it more greener, uh, to make it more inclusive, um, how to reach to marginalized communities and give them access to clean um, energy. So there was a lot of work okay. there that I really felt that gave me that practical touch after getting that very, you know, theoretical work that I was doing at the ISO. Sure, sure. So do you would you say that the the practical side of things was covered when you actually tried the consulting role? Yes. Definitely. I mean, it was definitely also covered within the first portion of my PY experience when I did it at the ISO. But I felt when consulting, because you're dealing with clients directly and that process of interaction, these conversations that you're having with clients on a daily basis really sparked my interest. And it's something that helped me understand more how the energy industry works what is lacking, what can be improved. Mm -hmm. um, I got the chance to even meet people, like for example, who were planning to go for COP27 that happened in November 2022, sure. like in Sharm el Egypt. Sure. So there was a lot of work mm -hmm. that when you get to do in consulting that helps you uh, develop your network and uh, it's, it's a see. super experience. <laughs> yeah. Great, great. I wanted to ask you based on what you just said, what do you think is lacking in the energy world right now? I mean, um, maybe, okay, this can be a bit more specific from the sense of technologies or renewable energy sources. Maybe even um, if you want to answer it in a broader picture, 
from an entrepreneurial level, I've heard that we need more entrepreneurs in the green space, for example, more creative solutions. What do you think is missing or that needs improvement? Right. Um, so I think from the technology side, as I'm very also working on the technical side, I don't think our problem is so much with the technologies. We have so many technologies are developing, and I think it's not particular technology that's lacking. Like, like carbon capture technology, yes, requires some more adaptations, but mm -hmm. I don't think that's the particular focus if we have, let's say, something to that we can give it a priority. Sure. So, for example, um, I would say the thing that we lack is lacking is the inclusion of the youth within decision-making uh, process uh, for energy policies. So I think the side of policy is something that we can work on more. This is because a lot of the times when we have youth, we encourage them to particip participate Sorry, as dialogue participants. But we okay. don't get to see them as negotiators. We don't get to see their perspective beyond that point. Um, and this is something that I'm actually working on at COP28, is to make sure okay. that there is a dialogue. So, sorry, just a background, but what COP28 is. So COP28 is the United Nations Climate Change Conference that takes place annually in order to help mitigate the climate change yep. crisis and reduce the uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Um, but essentially, we would realize that a lot of the times, the youth do not get that voice to speak in. Yes. We do give them opportunities to attend, to take notes, but when mm -hmm. it comes to speaking and participating, there is a limitation, right? Yeah. So we need to make sure that we give them this access, and this is something that I'm working on. This is because the youth are the ones who will be experiencing the consequences sure. of the actions we're They're doing. They're the today, stakeholders, right? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. They're a key stakeholder. We cannot just, you know, al like allow them to just sure. hear about it and not participate. So I want just to fill in that gap, or I want to actually work to fill in that gap, hopefully. That's um, awesome. Through my participation really cool. at COP28. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. So do you plan on anything specific? Like, is there like an, maybe an event or workshops? Or do you have anything specific planned? I mean, it's a bit far. It's like in almost a year, I believe. It's in November. It's actually between November 30th and December uh, 14th. Yeah. Okay. 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 Oh, great. Best best of luck. Best of luck. That's going to be interesting. And I'll definitely follow whatever you do. I'll, I'll, I'll have some questions for you then. Great. So I wanted to ask you a couple of more things, um, more catered towards your path into the sustainability world, into the green transition and into energy. So you graduated with an engineering degree or will graduate with an engineering degree. Um, how do you feel that complemented your interest for energy. I mean, it's not necessarily um, too policy uh, focused, but how do you think it helped you and your expertise going into the job market as well? Yeah, that's a really good question, by the way, Youssef. So I just would like to point out that my passion for energy sector and environment did not actually just start in university. So it was not like a one-day thing. It actually started in yeah. high school. When I, I know, we'll get to that. We're, have, we're gonna have to touch on all these yeah. things, sure. So. And then I feel the university just gave me that capacity to orient my passion. Um, and because I'm a very like tech person, um, I really wanted it also from a technical perspective. And okay. I got the chance to do you know energy systems engineering. But just to highlight, although it's engineering does not mean that it does not have a lot of policy. I did a lot of policy courses as my elective because I sure. think just the technical perspective is not enough. It's really important to complement that with the policy side and i'm also minoring in business because 
you know, if you want to do your startup, you need to have this background in finance and you need some knowledge. Just sure. Make sure. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I'm minoring in business um, to okay. really complement my understandings as well. So it's not okay. only the engineering side. Yeah. Okay, great, great. And some of the works you've done uh, at the University of Toronto, you've published a couple of papers. Do you mind going into that, kind of sharing your your findings, anything interesting? Yeah, so um, one of the key papers I would like to talk about, is I have done a lot of, of course, uh, research projects because I worked as a research assistant um, in summer 2021. I also worked uh, as a research assistant um, when I was when I'm when I'm with the committee uh, on CECCS, which is the Committee on Environment, Climate Change, and Sustainability, um, and okay. one of the key findings is how we can optimize buildings to make them net zero. So we have a normal right. building. How can we do some retrofitting strategies in order to make it net zero? And the findings were very interesting. We used a lot of softwares right. there, and we realized it's actually very feasible. But what the wow. problem always comes in is the cost. Like there's a very high sure. cost that comes in with sure. retrofitting strategies. That's why it's so much easier to start building buildings which are, you know, um, net zero instead of start retrofitting the existing buildings. So this is something okay. that we're trying to work on is how to reduce the cost potentially by using, you know, new technologies in the biomass industry um, to make sure that we're becoming greener and more sustainable. Okay. That's interesting. So you think that building from scratch with these um, with these fittings or with these specifications would be less costly than fitting them into an existing building? Uh, sorry, just to clarify, it's not exactly going to be like a total cost is going to be less as an absolute value. But okay. when you're looking at relatively, so when you're adding these technologies mm -hmm. to older buildings, sure. it can be very costly. It, of wow. course, depending on the size of the building, how old the building is, but generally the findings were it's very expensive. So it can even cost, you know, almost half the cost of a new building. Um, so okay. it does not would not make sense for a lot of investors to take this step forward, or even to homeowners. Um, so a lot of people just prefer, you know what? Let's just stick with the old methodologies of working towards wow. solar energy somewhere else, um, and not focus on fixing the current building. But I sure. think what we should do is invest in something called community solar. There's something mm -hmm. that I propose. So community solar is essentially the idea that where you cannot, for particularly um, build like, you know, tall high rise buildings in Toronto, for example, like I cannot have a solar panel at my rooftop because I don't have a rooftop, right? It's yeah. a 25, yeah. Building, yeah. 25 floor building. So we cannot have access to that. But by community solar, you can essentially like invest. You have a share that you're buying. Um, of a large community solar farm, and you can essentially just um, get access to clean energy through okay. that. Um, so it's like, really it's like it's like it's a source for like yeah. a, a community or a neighborhood. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's, it's for okay. every neighborhood. It would have a community solar, and essentially you would be investing in that. And depending on how much you invest, you'll be getting credits on your um, bill every month. So you'll have a reduced bill. And this can reduce your electricity bill by up to 23.5%. So it's a really great wow. idea. And it also helps you contribute to cleaner energy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, people are going to need this. You know, inflation inflation rates are rising. So it'll be good to save some money and save, save, uh, save the environment. I mean, fossil fuel hegemony and just the um, the control that fossil fuels have over the world it's um, 
it's alarming. It's something we need to take into consideration. But it's also a sticky situation where phasing them out uh, is a bit problematic. Uh, do you have, do you see any interesting solutions like, for example, community solar, like building uh, these net zero buildings? Would you say that from a more personal side, from, let's say, an entrepreneurial side, from just an individual trying to better um, this transition and help this transition? Do you have any advice? Do you have any recommendations for people? How can someone make an impact, a tangible impact? Because you definitely have done so yourself. So any advice? Yeah, for sure. So um, so regarding, of course, the idea that you mentioned about the fossil fuel and the complete transition away from them, I think I, I agree with the perspective that we should not completely you know, transition out of fossil fuel because that's going to result in a lot of unemployment and that's going to result in another sure. community problem, another sure. social problem. So if we're looking from an energy equity perspective, we should not be going ahead from that point of view. And that's Could you just elaborate that on that? Start. Yes. Could you just elaborate yes. on energy equity? What is energy equity exactly? Yes, for sure. So energy equity can mean in ensuring that you're giving access to energy um, in an equitable manner to different forms of the communities, while also ensuring that different parts of the community are also maintaining their, their social welfare as well as um, their current employment status, right? Okay. So, okay. so you're making sure, so in other words, you want to make sure that those people who are in the oil industry, they're not losing their jobs. Because mm -hmm. if they lose their jobs, you're actually fixing something to actually to result in ruining something else. Yeah, you're causing you're great, causing another problem. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And this is not great. And we also want to make sure that we're giving access to clean energy across the different communities, right? We want to make sure the marginalized communities are getting access to clean energy um, at the same time. So I think one key idea for any business or any entrepreneur is to make sure that they're considering how energy equity is operating. Are they making sure that the energy they're providing is equitable? Is it wow. being accessed by the low-income families? So for example, within community solar, you can make it you can make it accessible to low-income families. How can you do this? By having subsidized rates. And this is something that the U.S. is implementing on a lot of okay. its states and have done a lot of work on policy work in the United States. Um, and they have done a lot of great policies to facilitate access to community solar to LMI, which stands for low and moderate income families. Um, and it's something mm -hmm. to be considered in any business that's being implemented, not necessarily for community solar, but just making sure it's being accessed by people who are in need marginalized communities, as well as ensuring that other industries, such as oil and gas, are also still accessing jobs. But if not, we make sure that we're helping them within the training process so they can transition to the clean energy sure. jobs. So sure. slowly transitioning out of oil and gas by ensuring them they have access to the proper training to move out of that phase. Sure. I mean, well, going off what you said, I think it's more now of well it's an energy transition but i believe it entails a lot more than just energy i mean this is going to have to involve an economic shift uh, an educational shift um just a structural shift in 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 society i think um i think multiple sectors are going to have to work together and come together to kind of fuel this transition um but going back to your youth program i think that's pretty important it's pretty important to to educate people from now that we're going through a, a change that's mandatory and we have to do this to maintain uh, to maintain a good, well, a livable planet. So, yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree with everything you've said. I just want to 
also, first of all, congratulate you on your awards. You have many awards. Uh, one of them is the Diana Award um, that you received in July 2022. What was that for? What did you get that award for? Yeah, for sure. So uh, thank you so much for uh, you. So, no, so no, for the Diana fine. you deserve the credit. Thank you. So for Diana Awards, an international award that recognizes um, youth people for their community initiatives. And essentially for me, my initiative was the Ray of Hope program. Um, the Ray of Hope program aims to provide equitable learning opportunities to more than 4,300 refugees. And it also wow. helps 250 refugees find work, as well as being accessible to more people online right now by, by having a virtual platform. Um, okay. And it also involves 91 volunteers across the globe who are supporting to facilitate this learning process. Um, you may be wow. wondering how how is that even related to sustainability? Yeah. Yes, this is something that I'm trying to do. I'm trying to reframe the definition of sustainability based on sustainable development goals. And in particular, this mm -hmm. initiative aligns with SDG or sustainable development goal number four, which is access to quality education. Uh, so for wow. us to achieve a sustainable world, we need to make sure that we have access to quality education. And how can we achieve this? Is that we need initiatives like this. We need people from the marginalized communities especially refugees, um, to have access to education. And this is one of the goals of the initiative, and I'm very happy that it had really positive outcomes. Um, as a Bravo. Bravo. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And yeah, like, I never thought, I never really, I never really gave it much thought that the future generation are really going to be the ones that will be facing the ramifications of today's actions. Today, we're operating and we're trying to mitigate, obviously, damage. But uh, the lives of the future generations, like they're going to they're going to go through all of it. They're going to see all these changes that we're implementing. So it's definitely, definitely something to look into. Um, I, I wanted finally, I'm just going to have ask you a couple of more things. Um, one thing is from your well, you're a student. It's surprising that you're a student uh, with all your credentials and all your accomplishments. But um, for students that are now developing and they're growing in this field of ESG, and uh, sustainable energy and all these good things for the climate what do you think is an area that needs to be developed do you think that there are people that um, shy away from this because they feel like they may not necessarily fit in do you think that there is more room for development within education in sustainable development mm -hmm. That's also another excellent question, by the way. Another point that you bring up, Yusuf, um, of course, there's always room for that development. There is no, like, of course, like we're saturated with the development. For sure. No energy sector will continue to grow. But I think, yes, mm -hmm. within energy education, there's a lot of uh, points that are lacking. There's still a lot of room for improvement. I think energy mm -hmm. education, unfortunately, is not being addressed very, you know, accurately. A lot of sure. people think when we say sustainability, that we think making things greener. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not totally agreeing on this thing. It's one component of it that we're making things greener. But I think Definitely. sustainability, we need to reframe the definition of sustainability as based on the, the, the different sustainable development goals. It's more about being inclusive. It's sure. more about ensuring equitable access it's to energy, to education. I think these are key points. And I think that that's so important to make sure that we're able to reframe the definition of sustainability. And I think people have a huge capacity to implement the different sustainable goals. Because when people are able to understand what sustainability is, they will see that they have a more, a more major role 
into this um, initiative. So maybe someone thinks, oh, I'm a, I'm a teacher. Like, what can I do with sustainability? You have a lot. You're actually addressing SDG number four about education. You can do a lot to help students understand what sustainability is and really help them transition into the energy education. Because when students get education, they can actually now start learning about what energy is. Um, it's really just this method of integrating sustainability into different fields um, wow. that I okay. think is just so important. Yeah. So you don't so you don't think there is necessarily an advantage of let's say having a technical background versus having more let's say political background because no being being at university and being exposed to many different viewpoints there are definitely benefits to both like it's difficult to succeed truly uh, without this complementarity of technical and theoretical so do you think it's just a matter of passion of interest because I think ultimately passion will fuel change interest will fuel change yeah for sure you don't need to have this technical background to fuel change you don't need to be an engineer and understand how the energy sector works understand how the grid will function and like you know study four <laughs> years to understand this uh no you don't need to really do that you i think what in whatever capacity you're in whatever position you're doing you have that capacity to create that change and i think what will drive this is the passion of the individual Sure, absolutely. And I, you've, you've had it from young. Do you mind going over how you started to get into this? What was the, what was the motivation? What was the inspiration? When did it hit your, your mind? You were like, okay, we're going, to, we're going to help the world now. Yeah, well, that's like when I was in grade six, that was in 2009. Um, grade six? Yeah, yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> well, now looking back, it seems like I'm old. That was like 14 years ago. Wow. Um, wow. <laughs> Yeah, so essentially what what's happening is that um when I first like, you know, joined school, um of course like academics was something that I was, you know, trying to succeed in. But then when I started when I was getting to grade six after finishing elementary school, that's something where I started to get involved in extracurricular activities. Um sure. and the first thing that popped into my mind was the environment club. That's something that I was very passionate about. Huh. Then I started getting involved, of course, like within the recycling projects, uh, you know, starting to recycle old tires to make them planting pots and all these wonderful things and a lot of recycling things that I was doing. Um, okay. And then I started participating in more like workshops, um, attending seminars. Um, of course, that happened across like grade six, seven, eight. And then grade nine, I became sure. the president of the environment club. Um, sure. And then grade 10, I got involved into MUN. And when MUN, I started integrating sustainability, where I started participating in the United Nations um, Environmental Program. And I was a delegate, and I got the Gavel Award. And then I became the chair of the committee in, later on. And then I became a head delegate of the MUN. And then I'm in grade so 11, just, I became just a continual like, spiral upwards. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, in grade 11, um, I became the, the environmental coordinator within the student council at the okay. school. And this is where I started doing more initiatives across the school level. Um, and, and at this point, is that where I became known at the school for my environmental activities? I think where I started giving speeches in the morning to the students about sustainability. Um, <laughs> and I think the passion just progressed from there and I realized it's something that I really wanted to do. And I think what I also like fueled my, my passion is that I started atten attending workshops outside of the school, right? Because okay. what you learn in, during the school books is not going to be enough to, to really make you understand sure, what sure, sure, the sure, world sure. of energy is. 
So I started attending workshops outside. I started also attending Abu Dhabi Sustainability Week. I think that was a huge factor that comes in when thinking sure. about my passion. And, you know, then I finished grade 12, came to the University of Toronto, and then I started leading the Sustainable Engineers Association, sure. serving as a president in my third year. Sure. Yeah, no, very humble beginnings. And I mean, I can see how it spiraled upwards very, uh, uh, very well for you. I mean, yeah, you, you now you look back and it's just a, a library of, uh, of work. So I congratulate you for yeah. that. Um, before we leave, could you just touch up on your work with the uh, Sustainable Engineers Association? What do you do? Um, what is this association aimed at doing and your role as the president? Yeah, so the Sustainable Engineers Association is one of um, the accomplishments that I'm very proud of uh, because yesterday we just finalized our annual sustainability conference um, and it was just wow. a wonderful feeling to have this in-person conference at the University of Toronto with attendees from different industries and students across different universities within the area um, to come and attend and learn about sustainability from 10 different inspiring speakers. Um, so sure. my journey with Sustainable Engineers Association um, essentially started when I joined at the University of Toronto. I joined, I, I joined sorry, first as a general member um, yep. because I was interested in sustainability, but then I progressed to become a conference liaison because I really like public speaking right. and like to coordinate with speakers. Yeah, I can um, tell you do quite well. You do quite well. <laughs> yeah, um, and I was really coordinating with speakers, inviting them to come over to the university and giving you know presentations and um, seminars and workshops to the students. Um, the year after, I became the VP conference, and then I got nominated to become the president of the association. So okay. within the president's role is that I have to oversee. 40 plus members because we have essentially different sub teams within the, the association. It's a fairly large association. Okay. Association. So we have, for example, a conference team, uh, student sustainability, wow. student academics, finance. Uh, we have the competitions team where we hold like hackathons, things like that. So wow. it's, a, it's a very broad team. We do a lot of things at the level of the university. And one great thing we have done is we have established the Sustainable Engineers Association um, at TMU. So, uh, so this is also something that great that we're doing that we're expanding the SCA chapters. It's not wow. only we're not leaving you know the knowledge just at the U of T. We're going to other universities and helping them helping them establish their own SCA chapters. Um, wow, th this is just something I'm very proud of because I think you should you should come to McGill. Yeah, for sure. We're coming next. We we need <laughs> you. Outreach department. <laughs> yeah, we need you. I'm I'm inviting you from me uh, on behalf of McGill in Montreal. You should come and 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 make it happen here. Yeah, for sure. And we have some members on our team currently. I believe in McGill for the McGill uh, Model United Nations. I think it's a great opportunity oh, for wow. them to come in and talk sure. about their uh, SCA team <laughs> to help establish uh, a chapter, hopefully there. Absolutely, absolutely. I hope so. And I hope in the grander scheme of things um, that a really good framework will be built for this transition. Um, like you said, education is very important. And I think that although now we're at a university level and past that, um, I believe that it's important to start changing this now. It's important to start implementing these um, systems or these little frameworks where people can be more exposed to what's really happening and what's really going on. Um, and the conversation with you has been very insightful. I don't want to take too much of your time. Um, 
I want to thank you for your time, obviously, of course, and just genuinely valuable insight. I, I believe you're doing a great job for the community and for yourself. So I wish you all the best. Thank you. Likewise, Yusuf. It was definitely great to connect. It was wonderful to have this conversation. I think it was wonderful to talk to you and finally get to meet you again after this long time. Thank you, Yusuf. Sure. Thank you. Thank you so much, Yasin. Have a great day.